0: This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good evening. My name is Pastor Ron. I want to add my words of welcome to you this evening. It's great to have you here tonight, as well as those of you who are joining us online. And it is good for us to be together on this Good Friday. And I'll admit, tonight is probably the oddest service that we do throughout the year, Uh, Tonight has much more of a somber feel to it, it's a little darker, Um, there's no Easter baskets uh, or flowers, that's coming, but tonight is much more of a funeral. But just tonight, and I believe that if we spend the time this evening reflecting on what Jesus did on this Good Friday, it prepares us and just allows for an even greater celebration on Easter morning. Uh, We've chosen some ways in which tonight that we can experience and reflect on this moment. So tonight we're going to be experiencing communion together as a church. Uh, As well as Justin had said, there's those little pieces of paper. And those are an opportunity for you to bring whatever you need before God tonight. And I'll be explaining more of that uh, at the end of my message before we celebrate communion. I imagine as you came in here tonight, you had some feelings and some... Affections and emotions towards what Jesus endured on Good Friday. And I imagine after watching that video, you're even a little bit more tenderized into uh, what he experienced. In fact, I believe in my study and understanding of crucifixion, it would have been the most horrible way uh, to have to die. To think about what he endured and the pain and the suffering, it would have been incredibly intense. And I'll attempt to describe it in some level of detail tonight. And it's okay for you to feel sad. I imagine there's feelings and emotions. And, and I hope that tonight it's more than just that. More than maybe just a, a sympathy card for what Jesus endured. My hope tonight is that we can begin to get kind of, pull back the layers of this story and kind of understand how we got here. I mean, how did Jesus get here? In fact, just one question, it's really, really important that we understand this on Good Friday, and it's the simple question, why did Jesus have to die? I want you to think about that question tonight. Why Jesus and why the cross? I mean, think about that. I mean, how did the nicest guy in all of human history end up dying this way? I mean, you think about that. I mean, this is Jesus. This is Jesus, the, the person who blessed little children, he was meek and mild. I mean, Jesus was always the person that was kind of gathering the crowds and performing the miracles. He, he turned water into wine. And then we see him have to go through such a horrific, barbaric death. It seems as though this part of his life, this part of his story, it seems as though this could have been avoidable. And so to try to answer this question tonight, I want to do something A little different, something I've never done. And that's, I wanna walk through the scenes of Good Friday, but I wanna walk through them backwards. I think it's actually when we go backwards, we begin to see the path forward with why Jesus had to die in such a way. And so tonight we're gonna be looking at just a few verses in the Gospel of Luke. If you got a Bible, we're gonna start in Luke chapter 23 and just kinda move backwards. All the words will be on the screens as well for you tonight. Uh, Just a few short verses that we're going to look at. But we'll start in the first scene, which is the scene that you imagine. It's the scene where it all ends, and it's just outside the gates of Jerusalem. It's actually a scene that would be three crosses on a place called Golgotha, the skull. We read these words. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. It's really interesting when you do a Google image search on this place, Golgotha, the skull, uh, you can see that in the time that Jesus lived, this was actually outside the city of Jerusalem, quite a ways outside. And now today you look and the the sprawl from the city has sort of surrounded this place. It looks like kind of an outcropping of of a rock hill area and there's a road that goes right around it and buildings that have been built up all around it. But not on this day. On this day, it would have been a very lonely and barren place. All three men that were on crosses were considered to be enemies of the state. And Rome took very seriously any threat against its survival. There's a really good documentary a number of years ago done by the History Channel that kind of talked about how crucifixion came to be. It started out very crude. They were just impaling people on poles. Until Alexander the Great in about 71 BC, uh, he figured out a way in which he could keep his victim alive and suffering longer before his death. And there were all sorts of crucifixions. In fact, one of the most famous crucifixions, mass crucifixions, uh, was around the uh, former gladiator Spartacus. Spartacus and 120,000 of his men went up to overtake Rome, and they were defeated, like pathetically. In fact, In order to make kind of an example out of them, Rome took 6,000 of Spartacus' men and he had them crucified. In fact, legend has it that they were able to line the roads with crosses on both sides for 120 miles leading into Rome. In fact, historians would say that there were no trees left in the Judean countryside, that they were reusing nails in order to have this many crucifixions at once. It was all to make a statement. Now, before Jesus would have even been on the cross, he would have endured an intense amount of pain in flogging. Flogging was this process of sort of tenderizing the flesh and, again, prolonging the amount of pain the person would have to endure. You were flogged with a whip. The whip was called a cat of nine tails. It had nine strands that came off of it. At the end of the strands would be either a piece of metal or a piece of bone or a hook. And the Roman executioner would know exactly how to strike strike the victim. Forty lashes, no more than forty lashes, times nine strands would be 360 stripes. Many died just in the process of being flogged. You would be whipped in both your neck and your back, all the way down to your calves. The whipping would tear both your skin, your muscles, and your tendons right off the bone. If you survived that part, you would then be forced to carry the cross. Not the whole cross, but just the cross beam. Think of it as about a 100-pound railroad tie. And that would be placed on your very tender and exposed nerve endings on your back. Jesus, we know, uh, carried his cross on this very famous journey called the Via Della Rosa. It was about a mile-long journey through the city and out to the place called the Skull. This was sort of the community's opportunity to get their shots in uh, at anyone being crucified. They could yell at them. They could throw stones at them. They could spit on them. We actually know that in Jesus' journey on the Via Della Rosas, he was carrying his cross. He stumbles. He falls. He very likely injured himself, probably fell forward on his chest, probably uh, impacting uh, the ability of his heart to function properly. When he got to the place called the skull, then the executioners would take it up a notch They would take eight-inch metal spikes and they would drive them into the most tender parts in your body and your wrists and into your ankles, always with your arms bent and with your legs bent. That way, the only way you could get a breath of air is if you would pull against those spikes, lifting your chest up in order to breathe, and then as you exhaled, you would slump back down that raw wooden post. This would go on for a long time, although Jesus died actually a pretty... Quick death on the cross. Um, but this would go on in some cases for days for individuals. Bodies would be left on crosses for many, many days. They never performed an autopsy on Jesus, but we do know from parts of the story that when Jesus died, one of the guards took a spear and shoved it into his side. And the texts and the scriptures tell us that both blood and water poured out, very likely by medical professionals saying that likely what that was, was the Uh, pericardium, the sack around his heart, filled up with blood and with water. And he died, likely of a heart attack and asphyxiation, not being able to breathe. These bodies, as I said, would be left for days on crosses. And they were never like way up high. Bodies were always at like ground level. And they sent a statement. It was a scare tactic from Rome. Rome was Texas before there was Texas. Don't mess with Rome. So, What did Jesus do to deserve this? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, you have to look at not just this scene, but you got to look at the scene before this. And before this scene, there was a very public trial before Pilate, Pontius Pilate. The religious leaders and the chief priests, they bring Jesus before Pilate. You need to think of Pilate as sort of like a governor. He was overseeing a particular geographical area inside the Roman uh, geography, and he had a chain of command. He was not the top dog. He had people above him, and he had to do his job. In fact, in the Roman thinking, they called it the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And that basically meant keep the peace by all means and especially use force. And Pontius Pilate loved to use force. When you hear this story, though, you have to kind of realize that Pilate, in many ways, is just a guy doing his job. He's told to keep the peace, And any threat against Rome had to be taken seriously. Now, you may find this hard to believe, but in that day, there were lots of uprisings. There were lots of people who claimed to be a god or claimed to be the Lord or claimed to be the Messiah and would try to overthrow Rome. The Bible tells us about a few of these stories, but they don't give us a lot of background. In fact, you can read about this for yourself later, but in Acts chapter 5, it actually tells about two stories of guys that tried to stand up against Rome. One of them that Acts mentions is a guy by the name of Thutis. He claimed to be the Messiah, which would mean he claimed to be God, and so that would be a threat against Rome. And it's kind of interesting. You read the backstory on this guy named Thutis, and legends have him out to be a real circus act. He could perform palm readings and healings. He actually claimed to have uh, been a greater Moses. He claimed to have, like, parted the sea, the Red Sea, wider than Moses ever did. And Pilate got his hands on Thutis and didn't even bother to put him on a cross, decapitated him, ended him instantly. Right after that, the Bible tells us about a story about another guy. This guy's name was Judas the Galilean, not the same Judas that betrays Jesus, another Judas. And this guy kind of made a a big ordeal about paying taxes to Caesar. He claimed that, well, since Caesar's face is on the coin, every time you pay your taxes, it's like you're worshiping Caesar. And he says, that's idol worship. We shouldn't be doing that. So he formed a whole group of people called the Zealots, and their whole platform was we're not paying taxes to Caesar. Can you imagine that today, a group of people that didn't want to pay their taxes? Well, once again, Rome got a hold of these Zealots and took them very seriously. In fact, in one day, they crucified some 2,000 of these Zealots. And of course, the accusation against Jesus is that he doesn't pay his taxes, which is completely false. Jesus, in one other case, actually performed a miracle where he told Peter to go down to the lake, cast a line, the fish that you catch will have two coins in it, one to pay your taxes and one to pay mine. And so all of this is fabricated, and that leads Pilate to say these words. In Luke 23, verse 4, it says, Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. There's nothing wrong with this guy. I can't find any reason to have him killed. So Pilate then famously asks, it's normally our custom on this day to release one of the prisoners. Who do you want me to release? You want me to release Barabbas, who's a murderer and a known insurrectionist, or Jesus? And they say, give us Barabbas. Well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. And Pilate then in that moment washes his hands and therefore washes his conscience. So if Pilate really didn't want to kill Jesus, then why did Jesus have to die? Well, you got to back up to another scene. And that scene is another trial. This trial is a religious trial before the Sanhedrin. And this is less public. This is a private trial in the middle of the night, highly unlegal, by a group of people known as the chief priests. These were the guys that wore the long robes and the pointy hats, and specifically a guy named Caiaphas. Now, I'll just say that these guys should have been the ones that knew a Messiah when they saw him. They had spent their entire life studying and preparing for the Messiah to come into the world. And yet they just can't accept Jesus as the one. And so they are constantly trying to trap Jesus, and now they have him. Now they have him in their courts, and so they ask him, if you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. I mean, they want him. They're baiting him. If you're the Messiah, tell us. Jesus is like, I know what you're going to do. If I tell you I'm the Messiah, you're going to kill me. If I don't tell you I'm the Messiah, you're going to kill me anyways. So here goes. Here's the open secret. When you do kill me, I'll be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. And this just gets them completely unglued. They can't take it anymore. They've been following this man. They've been hanging on every word he's been saying and teaching. They've seethed every time Jesus has said that he's come from the Father to do his Father's will, to bring down heaven here to earth. And now these words, this is just trigger language for them. They just can't take it. And so they say, we're going to crucify him. If you really want to know the question of who who really kind of sentenced Jesus to death, I would tell you that Jesus really pronounced his own death sentence. He gives them everything they wanted. And I think at this point, Jesus could have changed the entire course of human history. I mean, Jesus in this moment could have, he could have walked out of the room. He had done that in other scenes. He had kind of parted the crowd and and left unharmed. He could have done that, but he didn't. He chose to go to the cross to endure this pain and their accusations as they beat him with clubs and, pulled at his beard, and spit on him. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, that requires that we back up just one more scene. And in this final scene, we find ourselves in the garden. The Garden of Gethsemane actually begins to unlock for us the answer to this question. This is now the night before Jesus was crucified. And the Garden of Gethsemane was actually a particular garden in This area known as the Mount of Olives. This would have been a place that Jesus and the disciples came to kind of relax and to refresh, but not tonight. In fact, the whole word Gethsemane means oil press. It's where they would have pressed these olives into oil. And Jesus would now feel this pressure. He would begin to sweat drops of blood as the capillaries would break and mix with his tears. But it's in the garden. If you think about the entire story of human existence, humanity starts in a garden. In fact, humanity starts in the garden with the first man, Adam. And Adam, while he started well, Adam didn't finish well. He allowed sin to overtake him. The fall became a part of our story. Adam did not finish well. But now we have Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam. And he not only started out well, Jesus is going to finish well. He's going to finish the task before him, and he's going to begin this journey towards the cross. I still think in this moment, though, Jesus had options. I mean, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels from heaven, could have ended it with that. Jesus was incredibly gifted with his words. He had incredible charisma. You always had the crowds. He could have used the crowds to turn against the church and against the state. I think if Jesus wanted to in this moment, he could have just, He could have ran. He could have went and hid in the desert, right? Desert's a really big place. He could have hid out there. Moses did that for about 40 years. And Jesus chose to do none of that. In fact, these words are so important. In Luke 22, verse 42, he says, he's having this conversation with his father. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Really interesting. There's a lot of um, talk throughout history about kind of this... Cup, this wine of uh, this cup of wine in this language, and it's it's symbolic in many ways. I think there's a a beautiful bit of symbolism that Jesus is reenacting here in this moment. This whole idea of this this cup. In fact, um, I believe that this cup language is so unique because this really speaks to what Jesus is doing, and it has to do with a custom in their day. You see, in their day, when a man wanted to marry a woman he had to go to the father of the bride and he had to pay the bride's price. And so this groom-to-be would get his father and he would go and meet with the young woman, the bride-to-be, and her father. And they would essentially negotiate the bride's price. Scholars in that day would say that it was a steep price to get married. And most people would have to pay upwards of, of the equivalent of a new house. Think about that today. How much does a house cost? Pretty expensive stuff, right? And so they would have to negotiate this, and then eventually they would reach this bride's price. And that's when things would get interesting, because then the groom would take this cup, and he would pour out this wine, and he would make this speech. He would say, this cup I pour out to you. I love you, and I offer you my life. And then he would extend this cup of wine to his bride-to-be. And she had a choice to make in that moment. This young woman, this bride-to-be, could take the cup, and she could reject it. She could say, no, I don't want your love, I don't want your life, I don't want to live in your house. That'd be a very sad day for that groom. Or she could take that cup, and she could lift it and raise it to her lips, and she could, in essence, say, I accept your love and your life, and in return, I give you mine. And I believe in that garden that night. Jesus was actually with his father. He was negotiating this bride price for you and for me. And now the offer extends to us today. This choice becomes yours. Do you accept his love? Because that's salvation. That's this opportunity to remember what Jesus did. We're going to experience communion tonight. But if we come back to that question in the beginning, why did Jesus have to die, the answer most simply is for you and for me and for love. You see, it's in that garden where that bride price is paid and the innocent is exchanged for the guilty. God had to reject his son in order to accept you and I as his son and his daughters. Jesus gets what you deserve and you get what you don't. You get grace and mercy and pardon from all sin and forgiveness here and evermore. I want to tell you tonight that whatever you think about Jesus, every power, every agenda, every sin can all be summed up in this one answer of why did Jesus have to die? He died for you, and he died because he loves you. He says, on Friday, I'll die for you. I'll lay down my life, and I'll give my life to you as a gift. I want to ask you tonight, how about you? Do you love this man? When you hear his story and when you experience what he experienced, does it bring you closer to him? If you believe that this man came and he lived and he died for you, then you are welcome to join us in this experience of communion tonight and really a celebration and a foretelling of what we'll experience in the resurrection, where we proclaim his death and his resurrection, where we reenact that his body was broken and his blood was poured out, for each and every one of us, and tonight to lift the cup to our lips as well and to receive his love. I think it would be a shame to hear the story about Good Friday and the freedom and the offer of salvation and not have an opportunity to accept it ourselves tonight. And that's where you get to play a part in the service tonight. Um, in just a moment, Eli and the team, I'm gonna invite them to come up now and to begin to prepare and leading us in this time of communion. And that's where this little piece of paper comes in, because I think on Good Friday, part of our experience is actually uh, bringing our lives and our faith before God. And so I want you to take that piece of paper, and there are pens in the seat pockets in front of you, and I want you to have an opportunity, a chance to write something tonight that you need to give over to God. Maybe it's just something that you need to, for Him to take from you. Maybe it's something that you're dealing with, like a sin in your life. It might be just a struggle that you're dealing with. It might be something you just need help with, like your marriage or your finances or maybe a child. Maybe tonight what you need to write on this piece of paper is just how much you love this man. Maybe you just tell Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for everything you experienced on Good Friday. And you're just going to have a few moments as Eli and the team plays to just sort of write that down on the card. And then what I want you to do is I want you to fold that up You can rest assured, no one's going to read it. You're not putting your name on it. It's confidential. Uh, But then as Eli and the team leads, you're going to have an opportunity to come up. There are baskets on both corners of the stage, and you can fold this up, place it in the basket, and then you can take your communion elements at the two tables in the front and the two tables in the back of the room. The other thing we started doing last year is you can take this piece of paper, and we've got uh, a cross in both the, um, the square and in the dock. And these doors are going to open in just a moment and you can take this piece of paper and if you'd like to take this piece of paper, you'll be given a nail and a hammer and you can nail that to the cross as well. Whatever you choose, we would ask that you then come back in and take the communion elements, whoever you're with tonight, with your family or if you're here by yourself, and then begin to worship and sing to God with us. I want to pray for you now so if you would simply bow your heads and let's pray. At the last supper, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And then in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, take and drink. This is my blood. It's the new covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of all sins. I want to encourage you this evening just to set everything aside for a moment and just to allow your mind to be filled with the wonder and the love of this man. His death and the gift of salvation are freely offered, but they're not cheap. They came at an incredible cost, the cost of a life. As Jesus stretches out his arms on the cross, he says, I'll pay for your sins because I love you this much. I want you just to reflect on that for a moment. And the freedom that God gives you. If it's been a while, maybe you just tell him how much you love him in return. And then we're going to sing and we're going to lift our voices together. We love you and we praise you. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.